Church, Charlotte. Amen. Praise Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Um, Amen. Fun, a fun subject today, fun subject where we're going to be talking about the subject of friendships, friendship, friendship. In fact, my title is A Beautiful and a Privileged Friendship, A Beautiful and a Privileged Friendship. Um, my text will be taken from Genesis 5, but I wonder, I wonder Maybe I should ask you to think of your most fulfilling and valuable friendships that you have right now. Just take a couple seconds to go back in your mind and think about who you would regard as a good friend. Maybe you even have a few good friends, your close confidants, if you will. Would you even say that you have a best friend? Now, in the same way that you regard that person as your best friend, do you think, do you think that your best friend regard you as their best friend? You see how I did that? <laughs> um, my dad used to always say that, you know, if you're their best friend, I hope they are your best friend as well. And I remember him saying that all the time. The text that I'd like to read from is Genesis 5, verse 24. Genesis 5, 24, and I'll read it from the ESV version. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God and, God, and he was not, for God took him. God took him. Yeah, took him. When it says, for God took him, what, what exactly do you think this verse imply? Took him where? Took him to heaven? Took him to play golf? What, what, what's in your mind? I wish I could, I wish I was in front of you all so I could, I could probe a little bit more about exactly what you all specifically think about that. There is another mention of Enoch, our good friend in the New Testament that offers a little bit of clarity on this, on this text. When the writer of the book of Hebrews tells Enoch's story, he puts it this way, quote, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found anymore because God had taken him. I like that better. I like that better. It goes on to say now before he was taken, he was commended as having this testimony that he pleased God. I like that so very much that he pleased God. I, that is a goal of mine. And it should be the goal of every Christian, to be honest, that our, our walk with God is pleasing to him. And he, he, is, he is happy to be in friendship with us. So let me tell you what I think of Enoch. It seems to me that Enoch was the type of man that folk would miss. You know what I mean? Here he is, and then he's gone. And folks would notice. Enoch walked with God and was not. Now, 
some some of us uh, we could drop out of life and little difference would be made. We we would barely miss you know some of us. Uh, but here's a man whose departure left a lonesome place against the sky. He was one of those radiant personalities, one of those radiant people that it was always good to have him around. Maybe maybe Enoch had a good sense of humor. Who knows? Maybe he was just um, really consistent, a guy that did what he said and said what he did. I'd like to think that if Enoch failed to come to the prayer meeting that was called a church, that that that, that prayer meeting go, didn't go quite so well. You know what I mean? And if the preacher looked over at Enoch's pew and he was missing, it's going to be difficult for that preacher to preach, right? A little harder for that preacher to preach. In other words, he was the kind of folk... You would miss. You would miss Enoch if he wasn't there. You would miss Enoch. And now there's some people, you know, they could drop dead and you, you know, you don't see them. Um, and it wouldn't matter. Their their impact, their impression on you, their impact on the on the on this atmosphere um, is not that great. So if they drop out of existence, you would barely notice. You know, I mean, I hate to say this, but maybe a little exaggeration. If, if Enoch was not present at the wedding, the bride and groom hardly felt as if they had been married. I know that's a little exaggerating, but I'm, 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 uh, I'm doing that way so that you get some sense of my thoughts about about Enoch. If he failed to go to the funeral, the bereaved family was, you know knew that he wasn't there and they, they inquired where is Enoch where is Enoch so I began thinking you know what was his secret why did God take him so I began to look into Enoch what time what time frame did he live in in the Bible it, it was certainly not the environment in which he grew up or where he was physically. We know this because he was living in a pretty bad time and place in history. This man lived with few opportunities. He, he lived a long time before a single word of the Bible had been written. And he lived long before the great prophets had, had prophesied a single word. He lived long before Jesus had come to gather the little children in his arms and to encourage the outcasts and the brokenhearted with them and, and, and said, this is what God is like. One of the most impressive facts about Enoch, as someone else has said, is that he had so little but made so much out of it. And so we agree that he belonged to an evil day that was hurrying down a steep decline that ended with the flood of Noah's day. So like I said, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty time because what do we know of that time? Well, the scripture in Genesis chapter number six, the Bible says, the Bible says that before the flood, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagining of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Bible says that the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. 
so that the Lord said, I will wipe man from the face of the earth. And I regret that I have created them. I will, I will wipe away all the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I have regretted that I have made them. Genesis 5, verse, Genesis 6 rather, verses 5 through 7. When you think of it like that, it gives you pause, right? To be convinced of the poverty of Enoch's opportunities, it's only necessary for us to read the chapter in which he was mentioned. So if we go to that chapter, it's, it's a very dry and dull portion of scripture. Chapter 6 opens with the startling declaration that God was very disappointed in the way mankind was behaving. Uh, in fact, God was downright mad upset with their behavior. And so we find in verse three of chapter six that the Lord said, quote, my spirit shall not abide in, in man forever. For man is flesh, his days shall be around 120 years. And I stopped, I stopped, I stopped. And I said, wow, it was here. It was in this time that God limited man's lifespan. Before this, men lived, men like Methuselah lived to 969 years old. Before this, people regularly lived in the several hundreds years. Right? So when we read, when we read this portion of scripture, what I'd like for us to do is to kind of get context. Look what happened before, what happened after, just to see if where we are is, is the right spot. If we read on later in the next few chapters, we read about the catastrophe of the flood that I just mentioned. Right? God was mad with them and God was like, that's it. I'm done with y'all. And if we, if we back up a few chapters, we read that so-and-so lived so many years and then he died. The next verse declares that another so-and-so lived a little longer, maybe had a little longer name and lived so many years and begat so-and-so and then he died. The whole story seems to be this tale of, of, of men being born and living and then dying. It's not much drama. It's not much drama to men's life, except that they were evil. That's all there is to it. Nothing special. But just as we are preparing to stop reading out of sheer boredom, because as I said, the text is dry. Try reading it. But then we come upon this bit of exquisite text that says, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walk with God. That that passage hit me in my chest. It was like <laughs> it was like water in a weary land. It was like passing from a desert into a garden. It was like moving from one with one single step from the the the, the North Pole into the tropics. It was a refreshing verse. Enoch walked with God. What happened? What happened to Enoch? For a while, life meant no more to him than to his fellows. He merely existed. Then one day, because he had a deep yearning for God, and I like the use of that word, yearning for God, the hand of God that is always feeling, groping for our weak hands. The Bible says uh, it found the groping hand of Enoch. And having found this groping hand, he drew Enoch 
into fellowship with himself. Enoch became acquainted with God. And little by little, their acquaintance ripened into friendship. So truly was this the case that it came to pass that the whole meaning of life for this man could be put in a single sentence. Enoch walked with God. Now, if Enoch succeeded in making contact with the great friend that, that is God in that great off place that is heaven, certainly such a high achievement ought to be possible for you and me. We have so much better opportunity than he had. Since then, the great saints who have entered into this experience have given us the benefit of their findings. We, we, have, we have the Bible. We have the Bible. For example, Enoch didn't have the Bible. Truly, says one of them, our fellowship, our friendship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Better still, Jesus himself has come to offer his friendship to everyone who will receive it. He is saying to us today, as he said to his disciples long ago, you are, you are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. From that we can deduce that Enoch was God's friend. That is why his face looks upon us across the vast space of the years which such joy we we read that text with such joy so we ask him for his secret and he will answer as did charles kingsley when someone asked him for his secret of his own radiant head i i had a friend i had a friend and i would imagine that that's why i asked you at the very beginning you know to think of your friendships Think of your friendships because good friends can make all the difference. Can I have a witness? Good friends, your 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 best friend. You know, a lot of people when they're getting married, it says, I've, "I'm marrying my best friend." Uh, I didn't know Venice all that long, so I, I don't know if I could say that that she was my best friend. By the time I we got married, I met her, and within a week, I proposed, and we were married seven months later. But but she wasn't my best friend, but she was the woman that God had set aside for me, and I was so appreciative. So my question to you is: Do you have a best friend? Someone with whom you can share your worst fears and greatest joys? Maybe you've been friends with them for a long time, or maybe even a not so long time, but you can complete each other's sentences. Your, your personalities are well aligned. They click well together. It may, it may get to the place that you enjoy even the same kinds of foods and the same kinds of movies you vacation together. I, I mean, this is your friend. This is your friend, friend. Your good friend, maybe even what we always say, my best friend. Now, one of the, the first privileges of this kind of friendship is the privilege of frankness and, and honesty. We, we hardly dare to be perfectly frank with everyone we meet. For example, when the wife decked in her new dress appears before her husband and says, don't I look a mess? 
the truthful answer may have been yes, but it certainly would not have been the tactful or the sensible one. And, and the husband would have been uh, cruel or foolish uh, had he given that answer. Wisdom teaches that we do not have to speak our minds fully on every occasion. Such a course is neither wise or necessary. I have noticed that the folks that always insist on telling us bluntly exactly what they think are about the first to become offended when we turn the tables and tell them what we think bluntly. But often in our efforts to be tactful, watch this, we slip into the habit of telling little white lies. Little by little, we become accustomed to saying what we think we might ought to say instead of what we really think. I'm talking here. I really am. I feel this because I teach this in first steps. We, 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 we say what we think people want to hear instead of saying the truth. We, we learn to laugh when we're not really amused. And we applaud when inwardly we're condemning. And by and by, these petty insincerities tend to creep into our relationship with God. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm preaching to myself here. You know, we, we, we really need to practice honesty. Am I the only one that feels this way? I, I feel like we, 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 we get to the point now where we, these little white lies, these little insincerities creep in and, and then it creeps into our relationship with God. If you really pay attention even to what you say to the Lord when you pray, and do not merely say prayers as some do, the chances that are you have caught yourself thanking God for blessings in your heart, which you are not really thankful for. You have found yourself asking for blessings that you did not truly desire. This is what I mean by these little insincerities. Not really sincere. I was reading a story earlier and it talked about a man who drove a, a fancy sports model car, Cadillac, in front of the home of his good friend. And he rushed in with great enthusiasm uh, and said to his friend, there is a car outside that you need. You belong in the Cadillac class. And that, that, you know, that statement was a statement of genius, right? We feel that it would be an honor to have you drive our car, he continued. Hence, we're going to make it available for you for a small fee of $40,000. But the man answered, I do not want it. What did he mean? It's not that the car wasn't desirable. He only meant that taking into consideration the price and the expensive upkeep of a car like that, he did not want it. Naturally, everybody who is sane would like to live on terms of friendship with God, but such an experience is often more than we are willing to pay. We, we pray for it. We plead for it even. But when the price and the upkeep are taken to, into consideration, many do not want it. And as a result, we don't have it. 
one of the great saints of yesterday is uh, in discussing the fundamentals of a holy life. He puts it among the first things to say. And he says this, stop lying to God. He says, let us be sincere in our prayers. It is of no use to tell God we're thankful for mercies when we are grateful only with our lips. It is no use to ask him for blessings that we do not really desire. Remember that he looks on our hearts. He sees and knows our intentions. And in his presence, we can, we can be our real selves. We, we can truly be our, our real selves. I hope your prayers, sometimes when you're praying your prayers, if you're praying it out loud, sometimes you get quiet with it uh, for fear of someone else here because you're getting intimate now. You're telling the Lord your secrets. Come on, somebody. You're, it's like you're, it's like being with your, your good friend, your best friend. You can tell them anything and everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, the naughty. Come on here. With your best friend, you can pretty much say and tell them any and everything. And it should be that way, especially with husband and wife. Some people say that their spouse is their best friend. Well, with the Lord, you should be able to tell him all the truth. In his presence, we can, we can, like Hamlet says, we can unlock our hearts with our words. We can say all that is in our hearts. This is the case because one privilege of friendship is the privilege of honesty and frankness. You can just tell them how it is. You don't have to pretty it up. You don't have to dress it up in fancy words. You can just say it how it is. So that's the first privilege of friendship. The second privilege of friendship is that of being understood. You know, we say in first church is to know and be known, right? Is to see and be seen. But here we're talking about is to, to understand and be understood. How good to have a, a friend in God who is possessed of an understanding heart. Sometimes we do not understand even ourselves. Sometimes we can't put our finger on our hurt in our own heart. We, we, we simply, have you ever been like sick and, and, and delirious, talking foolishness and know that you were? <laughs> Do you ever try to tell your doctor or your loved one what's wrong only to see them looking knowingly at each other and shaking their heads going like, what's wrong with you? In that moment, you were a bit crazy. You were delirious, but you were still sane enough to know what them shaking their heads meant. They were simply saying, poor fellow, he's out of his head. He doesn't know what he's talking about. All of which is true. But what you did know was that you were desperate and greatly in need of help. There are times when we are morally and spiritually sick in a similar fashion. We do not understand ourselves. We are too bewildered to know how, how to pray. How heartening in such times to remember that we have a friend who knows all about us. He's always infinite in patience and understanding. He's always unlimited in his capacity to help. He understands. 
The Apostle Paul teaches this in Romans 8. He says, we know not what we ought to pray for uh, as we ought to, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans 8 and 26. The privilege, the privilege of being understood. Next, the third privilege of friendship is the privilege of silence. With a friend, you can be silent. You don't have to say much. With, with, with a mere acquaintance, with a mere acquaintance, we feel that we must always talk. Uh, when I was younger, I began, uh, began thinking of honoring a young lady with my presence, one consideration that gave me pause. And probably most other young men in that same situation was the fear of the conversation drying up, right? Not knowing what to say. Um, I know you all don't feel like that, but I did. How embarrassing it would have been, right? You're trying to have a conversation and, and your words fail you. Um, I remember in my in my early ministry, I was a little bit timid when whenever someone would ask me to preach because I didn't think that I was any kind of preacher. I still don't. I don't think that I'm gifted in that way as others are. Uh, and I would be timid. There were times when I was asked and I would often shy away. I was afraid I would have nothing to say or be embarrassed by it, by what I did say. However, the, the young minister today need not be entirely desolate. Even if there is nothing to, to stimulate conversation, almost everybody has, you know, a way where digital technology has influenced their life. Like on your smartphone, there's probably 200 pictures on there, uh, especially if someone has a new baby. There's something to talk about or if they're newly married. I think some of the most impatient moments of my life have been spent listening to some friend tell me how he or she felt as they were experiencing some difficult situation. My impatience did not grow out of the fact that their story was not interesting. It may have been very interesting, in fact, but I was impatient because I was eager for them to get through it so that I could tell them how I would respond or react the same situation. So you see, with mere acquaintances, one must find words to fill the void of silence. And therefore, we end up talking. Maybe they are empty words. Maybe they're just chatter. But with true friends, with true friends, such is not the case. I remember living in the Bronx some years ago, my friend from two doors down would come over and regularly we would just sit and play music, discuss the artists and chit chat for what seemed like hours. This was before Christ in my case, right? Uh, I've known this friend for many years now and I live in North Carolina, he still lives in New York City. However, whenever I visit New York, even though I have not seen him for many months or even year, uh, years, once we get into the same physical space, it's, it's as though we had never been apart. And we can pick back up from the last memory and talk about this, that, or the other thing. Uh, about anything, really, any, anything or absolutely nothing at all. And we would still enjoy each other's company. 
In fact, often I recall that I would go over to his house or he would come over to my house. We would go into the basement and we would just sit in each other's presence, often without saying very many words. And we would still have enjoyed that visit. When the day was done and we went back to our respective homes, he often would not even need to turn uh, to me and say, we'll talk to you later. His departure was understood. We knew each other well enough to enjoy each other's company in the silence and also in the silence when we departed. And I feel like that's how it was with Brother Enoch, with the Lord. I have this idea that there were days, maybe not a few, when he did not feel any emotional thrill. There were times perhaps when when he tried to pray and the sky seemed like brass over his head, the prayers kept bouncing back. Then what? Did he wring his hand and said that his friends was not his friend anymore? He trusted God enough to be sure of him even when God is silent. You see, my brethren, friends, friends have mutual interests that do not have to be articulated. It doesn't mean that you and I, uh, if you and I are friends, we must of necessity love the same things, engage in the same pastimes. No, you may love tennis and I may like golf. But I will listen to you as you tell me about your golf game or your tennis game. When you, when you say that in, in the 10th hole, you made it in four strokes when you actually made it in seven. Not because I'm particularly interested in your pastime or, or golf, but because I'm interested in you, because you are my friend. In a similar way, I imagine that God stoops down and pays attention to our interests because he's interested in us. He's our friend. In fact, there is not a legitimate interest of our lives that is not a deep interest to our friend, the Lord. We can understand that by looking at the examples from our lives. How constantly do we stoop down and listen to the joys and even the sorrows of our children? Uh, here's this little person who perhaps has broken his or her toy. It's not a big deal to you, but when you see them crying, it is a trifle no more. You, you share in their grief. You even may even start to feel like you need to cry a little bit because you sympathize, maybe empathize with the fact that they're sad over losing their toy. This is how I think God feels about us sometimes. Similarly, God is interested in our interests. The apostle Matthew writes in his book, chapter seven, verse 11, quote, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, the answer is to be found, the answer to be found in ourselves. Our Lord does for us all that we will permit him to do. Let me say that bit again. All that he, we will permit him to do. And we must bear that fact in mind. God can give only as we give. Sometimes in our giving, we are told that God owns the tenth part of our, of our earning, right? And that is true, but that is only one-tenth of the truth. The fact is that he owns everything. 
we ought to give the tenth as a minimum in acknowledging of his ownership. That's a good beginning, but it is only as we acknowledge his ownership by the consideration of our all that we make it possible for God to give his all to us. Look into God's large and roomy hand. It may be something there that you need, but bear in mind that the measure of your power to receive is the measure of how you give. Lastly, friendship with God means making progress. And that and by that I mean going somewhere. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. The, 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 the impression I have is that they, they're walking and talking. That's the, the, the picture that is conjured up in my mind. That tells us that they were getting somewhere. For our God is marching on, right? He's going somewhere. He's not just idly sitting by. It means that Enoch was growing, he was learning, and he was absorbing that which God was given to him. <laughs> One of the saddest calamities that can befall us is that of arrested development. We get to a certain level and we stop and we don't grow anymore. I know lots of people like this. It could be academically. They get to a certain level of education. Maybe it was high school or even college, and uh, they can't learn beyond that. Um, they don't stretch their creative minds to conceive new things and new ways. I remember some time ago, I saw some, some recruits in basic training and they were playing around. They were practicing the goose step. I don't know if you know what that is, which means that they were walking vigorously, but they were not moving anywhere. It was like on a treadmill. And I think that there are a good many goose-stepping saints. These brethren give no more, work no more, love no more, invest no more than when they first joined the church. They're not going very far, and it's a sad commentary. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3 and 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's progress in that statement. Enoch made such progress that one day God said to him, You know, Enoch, you're a long way from the world now though you still walk its dusty surface. As it turns out, you're very close to my house. Suppose you come and stay with me. Is that a pleasant thought? Uh, thus, Enoch was not found because God, the Bible says, had translated him, taken him, taken him. Then what? Then what? When Enoch's friend failed to find him, they laid his absence on the one with whom he had been seen last. What? What? What an exquisite, what an exquisite poetry. What? What? That statement to me is exquisite. If you and I were to disappear together this evening and I should return while you were no more seen, guess what? The authority is the Cops would doubtless question and perhaps even arrest me. Where is your friend? They would ask. The last time he was seen was with you. 
In the same manner, Enoch went away one day in the fellowship with God. God came back. Enoch never did. And naturally, they laid Enoch's absence on God. But in so doing, they were quite right. He was not, he was not for God took him. As a result, and even in the testimony of him, uh, Enoch is one of the few mentioned in scripture that never tasted death. The other was Elijah that was taken up in the chariot of fire. And so finally, how was Enoch able to enter into this friendship and to maintain it and be maintained by it through the long years? He entered it as we enter it by faith. Uh, not just faith, a faith that obeys. We can enter by that same door today. Naturally, we cannot walk with God unless we go the way God's going. We cannot expect him to walk on clean and questionable roads, even for us. But if we're going God's way, he will surely go with us. So Enoch found out something about God. Before his translation, he had this testimony said about him that he pleased God. Wouldn't you love for that to be said about you? So let's bring it home. If we bring every question of our lives up before a tribunal in heaven, will it be said of your life that it pleased God? If we do that, life for us will rise out of the dull commonplace of our mere existence to, to a higher level, a table of friendship with God. Believe me, that is what I truly desire. I truly desire a friendship with God where, where it could be said that, like it was said of others in the scripture, Moses was God's friend. Abraham was a friend of God. And now, of course, Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. I hope that is your desire also. And so we, we ought to kind of position ourselves uh, in such a way that God will be pleased with us. I hope that's okay. I hope that's okay with you. Um, that is all I have in my notes today. Um, someone raised their hands. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.